The NFL draft may be over, but the Ringer NFL show isn't going anywhere. On Mondays, join Kevin and Nora as they look ahead to the 2021 season. And on Wednesdays, check out Flying Coach Season 2 with NFL Network's Peter Schrager and Rams head coach Sean McVay. The two longtime friends are joined by guests from around the sports and entertainment world to discuss the latest NFL news, tell stories from their careers, and break down the game from their unique perspectives. Check out the Ringer NFL show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older, 18 and older in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. Justin Barrier, uh, on today's episode of Group Chat, you will hear Charks' audio drop. Just briefly, uh, we had a little bit of a card reader error in the midst of one of our green room chats. So if you hear him sound a little bit different for a little bit and maybe not at all, that's why. But um, we talked about a lot of stuff on this episode. Uh, so enjoy. Hello and welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Verrier and we have a few things to talk about tonight. Uh, joining me, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz, Jonathan Charks is back with us, as are a host of other people on Green Room. Thank you for joining us for this live chat. Uh, I think I see what is it wise five thousand people in this chat already. <laughs> it's more like five, and one of them is <laughs> Sasha, who's our producer. <laughs> Listen, if people can pretend that they have a top podcast on Apple, I think we can pretend that a lot of people are in this green room chat. But uh, I think we're going to be doing a lot of these over the postseason. So stay tuned for that. Uh, more Ringer NBA people and some other people, Bill and whatnot, will be jumping on here. Uh, but tonight, good God, a lot of things happen in the NBA. We're going to get to some of the coaching fires, the GM fires, Chris Paul having COVID, Kawhi Leonard having an injury. Who else am I missing here? There's a bunch. Scott Brooks getting let go. Come on. Reggie Scott Jackson Brooks. being the best point guard in the NBA playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But group, first, we're going to talk about Reggie Jackson for sure. That's right. Mm -hmm. First, we're going to talk about some of these games that happened tonight. Uh, first question, Charks. More surprising event from this evening. The Sixers collapse. 
or playoff P Paul George actually rising to the occasion in this game? I don't know. Surprising, <laughs> enjoyable, most enjoyable. enjoyable Utah and Philadelphia. I mean, how much fun is it to call a team a fraud? Like just, it's just so much fun. <laughs> All right. Let's start with the Sixers here because I think that's probably the thing that's going to have the most ripple effects. I'm honestly still c- trying to recover from this. Like I, I, it took me a half of that, that Clippers game to even really register what had just happened because the Sixers are up 26 points. You think that there's no way possible that this could happen again and they could blow another game. And then all of a sudden they did the improbable. Uh, I think Seth Curry, not <laughs> Steph Curry. There we go. That's the one. Uh, <laughs> and Joel Embiid were the only Sixers to make a field goal in the entire second half. Uh, was what's what's what are you thinking about after this one? Ben Simmons. Um, there was a lot of caping for Ben Simmons on this pod. I won't name people names. <laughs> Rob Mahoney. There was a lot of caping for Ben Simmons on this pod. And I mentioned, I was like, look, in these playoff games, man, you need shot creation from the perimeter. And this guy, he's not a center. He's not Rudy Gobert. He's not Joel Embiid. He's a freaking perimeter player. He's a guard. He's a wing. Whatever you want to call it. He's somebody who they're going to have to count on when push comes to shove in a playoff game to do stuff with the ball in his hands from the perimeter. And this kid is deathly afraid of the basketball. Deathly afraid. And, you know, I got it. I got 4K like the rest of you guys. I can see his face (laughs) as I'm watching the game as he walks up to the free throw line. And I'm like, this dude don't want any parts of this. And whatever. People could say Doc Rivers should have, you know, I mean, hit the emergency panic button first, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, they melted down and couldn't score against the likes of Lou Will and Trey Young. Like a Lou Will, Trey Young lineup was just getting stops. Mm -hmm. Uh, But to me, it's like, yo, you're freaking flashy franchise guy. Uh, who's supposed to be some generational talent on the wing could do absolutely dick tonight when you needed him the most. Rob, what do you res- what do you s- respond to Dick with? <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Waz, you say he has to make plays in these moments. I disagree. Because the loophole is if you're so bad at free throws, your coach pulls you out of the game. You don't <clears> have to do shit. You get to sit there and watch. I like. I mean, look. This is a, a much more complicated game than Ben Simmons getting intentionally fouled sure. and missing a bunch of free throws. But like, is it reductive to blame it on that? Yes. Is it also brutal that that happened? Absolutely. Like, there's, there's so many embarrassing things in this game from the Sixers, uh, and that being chief among them. But really, you know, if this isn't the kind of game that disqualifies a team as a title contender, it's pretty damn close. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of things, as you mentioned. I mean, we could talk about Doc Rivers. We could talk about Ben Simmons. We could talk about the bench. Sharks, for you, like, what is the thing that's standing out here as the thing that really did the Sixers in in this game? Yeah, I mean, it's like, which deep-rooted structural issue we want to talk about this game revealed? There's like five, you know? Like, it's like therapy, the whole- yeah. <laughs> I think first off, to go off what Waz was saying, I'll go say Ben Simmons is a center. Like, let's get that straight for the beginning. He's a small ball five who should be hmm. the screaming out of pick and roll. He's not a point guard. That's obvious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I would say, and I, I guess to make a Doc Rivers joke, this is the worst collapse since Clippers Nuggets last year. Like, right? This is the- <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think that's right on the head there. Like, Doc oh. now 
his legacy has, has really taken a turn here. Uh, I, I know he has the title and, and for a lot of people, you're just, you're minted by that, right? There's really nothing you could say. You're kind of bulletproof, but he's really putting that to the test here, considering the amount, the sheer volume of collapse that are now in his resume uh, was if they don't win this game, do they fire doc? And I'll even say something further. Does doc ever get another job in the NBA again? I think Doc Rivers is so well-liked and respected amongst the player class that he'll always have a job, right? We've seen Stan Van Gundy get canned after one year, and he's the anti-Doc amongst players. Mm -hmm. Like, he just gets a bad rap amongst the guys. So I think he'll always get a job. And honestly, so long as the New York Knicks exists as an organization, a guy with a name like (laughs) Doc Rivers will always have a home somewhere. Uh, But, you know... it, it goes beyond Doc and this team just like, like you already did the choke job the game before. You already blew an extremely huge lead and you guys are playing this game like they were dominant in the first half on both ends of the floor, right? Like they look like the team that everybody told me that they were this entire postseason. They're giving Trey Young fits and pick and roll with their long wings. Uh, and B just, he was just being completely mean and disrespectful to Clint Capella. Like, bro, you supposed to be some all NBA level defense type of guy. I'm destroying you. And it just looked like, oh, okay, the Sixers are putting it together. And then all of a sudden they just throw everything in the trash. And, you know, you can't tell me that the free throw line parade doesn't matter. And as far as Doc, look, if this kid's going to make 30-something million dollars a year and he's ostensibly, allegedly your second best player, you can't yank him. It just sends a terrible message to everybody. And, you know, if his confidence is already waning, why the hell are we? Go- why the hell are you going to yank him and be like, all right, you're not good enough to even play anymore? All I right. think Doc has to play this kid, and he has to take ownership of it. Here's the counterpoint, I guess, for the Ben Simmons, which I don't disagree with you, really. I mean, we've talked about it probably now for, what, three, four years, that they probably should have been split up by now. I, I'm curious if this doesn't go well, if they ultimately will this offseason. The counter is this series, Ben and Embiid on the floor together, plus 43. And so... Naturally, I think you look start looking at their backups because the bench here, I think, was a complete catastrophe. And you have to start wondering, like, what is the root cause here? Is it that they just, like, don't have enough guys in reserve? Because I thought they had a pretty good bench. They have George Hill. They have Thibel out there. Dwight Howard will give you five fouls, like, immediately. <laughs> um, Sharks, what do you think? Well, this is the playoffs. Like, those names you just listed off, like, that's fine. The problem is, like, they can't have Ben Simmons playing without Joel Embiid. Right, they need your two all stars to carry your bench for you. They can't do that. I mean, you're, it's, I think it goes back to Ben and Joel ultimately. And like, does this thing get broken up if they lose? What they really need is a stretch big instead of Dwight Howard, because mm. then you can play Ben Simmons with the second unit. Because the Simmons Dwight minute, Dwight minutes have been bad all year. You put Thibault with them. There's no spacing out there, and so you you want to be able to stagger Simmons and Embiid, and you just can't right now. But it's it is unfathomable how bad these backup minutes have been. I mean, Joel Embiid is one of the best players in the world. And this group of, this, this second unit is bad enough to completely outweigh that. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's gutting to an organization that, that's put itself in this position that, you know, had, had the best starting lineup in the NBA this season. And this is where they end up getting roasted by Lou Williams. I, I, I mean, that might be their season right there. I'll say this though. Yeah, the bench was bad, but in the fourth quarter down the stretch of the game, you were playing Simmons, Embiid, and Thibel together. 
Like, how can you space the floor at a big playoff game with those three guys on the floor together? Like, even the bench or not, like, these lineups just don't work. They don't make sense. Is this a flaw of coaching? Is it the front office's mistake to put them in the situation where they don't have a lot to turn to after flirting with, like, practically all of the big names on the market? Or is this something else? Rob, what do you think? I mean, like, clearly the bench is incomplete. In terms, like, Doc didn't do himself any favors in this game, but I don't want to excuse how bad the Sixers' defense was in the fourth quarter. And a lot of that is just, like, Joel Embiid is clearly not able to play full games at a dominant level right now. He completely shut down Trey Young's pick and roll in the first half. Like, the Sixers' defense was unbelievable to start Mm -hmm. this game. And then they hit a wall. Joel starts getting tired. He starts passing out of plays where he would have been beasting guys to the rim in the first half. He's not showing out on pick and rolls. The defense isn't there to cover all these shooters. It just completely fell apart in a way that you could have any coach in the world in that situation and you're going to lose that game. You could. It, did, it almost doesn't even matter how bad the bench is if your starters aren't going to compete and defend in one of the biggest games of their season. All right, let me ask this point blank here. So clearly not having some sort of backup closer, a Jimmy Butler type to, to back up and beat, especially in these late minutes when unfortunately for him, Clint Capella was right and he did look incredibly fatigued out there and he has this entire series. Uh, Charks, do you think that the Sixers, I'm going to put you on the spot here, the Sixers will ever win a title or maybe even make the finals without having that second guy, a more of a closer Jimmy Butler type as opposed to a Ben Simmons to back up Joel? No, I don't think so. Uh, I would think you got to trade Ben Simmons for that player this summer or next summer. Do you think we're at that point? I, I would have been that point two years ago. I would have, I would have kept Jimmy <laughs> right. Butler and traded Ben Simmons. So like, that point, I was already been here. Now, points right. on like pre, pre-K now. <laughs> right. Rob, what were you going to say? I think they could have done it this year if Joel had been healthy. Like, Joel is the closer. He's an unbelievable, like, face-up mid-range player. He can do all the crunch time stuff you want guys to do. Mm-hmm. He's a great free-throw shooter in case he gets fouled. He can ISO. He Wait, can pass. Rob, yeah. Didn't you just say he was too tired to do that in the fourth quarter? That's what I, well, I'm saying yeah. that because of his injury. Okay. Like if, if you have a torn meniscus, everything takes fair. That's fair an extra 25% you know, more energy than you're used to. Uh, yeah, he needs to be in peak shape. He needs to be healthy. Who knows if those things will ever be true at a level where he can dominate series after series and get to the finals, but he has the profile of a player who could do it. He just isn't doing it right now because he's hurt. Right. Waz, let me ask you this question. Are you at all impressed by the Hawks? Because... There was a lot of talk immediately after this that like the Hawks, well, we have to give them their due, yada, yada. This very much seems like an implosion, (laughs) but does this result change your opinion about the Hawks anymore? Or like, do you have any more faith that they could not only get past this round, but maybe even the next? No, I don't. I, I, you know, (laughs) I I, I was, I was somebody who was fairly bullish on them already. Right. So it's not like this game is not make, didn't like illustrate anything to me that I already didn't feel about these guys. Uh, what I will say is obviously they're good enough that when an opportunity is presented to them, even as a young team, they get, they get busy. But I think the first half was sort of, um, illustrative of what kind of series this should have been if the Sixers had the sort of mental 
makeup to make it so, right? Things got a little bit tight, and they just completely fell apart. In the first half, they were playing loose. They were excellent. Like you guys mentioned, what, between Simmons and Tybull and Joel, the three of them, what they were able to do to that Trey Young pick and roll was legitimately impressive. And, you know, they're, they're, they were hunting Trey Young on the defensive end, like even going so far as to make sure the guy that could send the strong side help or double was always going to be Trey Young's guy on Joel Embiid. So that it's like, all right, just a little freaking fly that I'll just flick off of me. Like they, they, they executed. They got it done, right? They showed themselves to be a superior team to this squad in a pivotal game, right? Like a basically a series freaking deciding game. And then in the second half, they took their foot off the gas and it's just mental midgets, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> this was weak mentally what they did tonight. Yeah. What would have happened in this game if Seth Curry didn't have a huge second half? I mean, the Sixers could have lost by 20. <laughs> what if Steph Curry was there though? Would oh, it be dangerous? <laughs> I think yeah, there's no. some there's some rules against that one. I think. Yeah, to, to waste a Seth Curry game like this, it, it feels pretty damning right now. And so I, I have to wonder, like, who is the favorite in this series? Charles, do you think like the Sixers can still come back and win this, or are they down so much at this point? It's it's going to be tough to come back. They could definitely come back and win it. I mean, I feel like this was more about them losing the game, kind of like what Waz was saying. Like neither team has been like crazy impressive. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be stunned either way. This episode is brought to you by Arby's. It's 3 p.m. and dinner is still hours to come. Maybe lunch didn't quite hit the spot. That's where the new two for five dollar chicken wraps from Arby's come in. Available in ranch, barbecue, and honey mustard. They're perfect for the afternoon snack attack or as an add-on to your meal. Arby's two for five dollar chicken wraps are here for a limited time at participating locations. Visit an Arby's near you or order ahead on the Arby's app. All right, let's turn the page here now and talk about a team that is bulletproof and never folds under pressure. That is the Los Angeles Clippers, who are now up 3-2 over the Utah Jazz, 119-111. Uh, they played this one without Kawhi Leonard, who I guess we don't really know how long he's going to be out here, but he has a knee injury. Some people are calling it an ACL injury. We could talk about like injuries and the ripple effects of all that stuff later on here, but I do want to talk about Paul George because, good God, I did not expect him to have a game like this. It, this was... Rob, do you think this is one of the best games Paul George has ever played or maybe like one of the most meaningful he's ever had in his career? Definitely the most meaningful. I mean, just with the stakes of this particular game and the position he's put himself in, you know, he's a player who wants to be considered of the superstar class. He he will remind you of his quote unquote MVP season. You know, like that that is important to him that he's considered <laughs> among those players. And if you're going to be in that class, if you want to be in that category, these are your moments. Your teammate goes out, you have to deliver in a huge way or else your team is going to lose. And man, did Paul George deliver. And I, I think what was most impressive about this game from him and the Clippers is that their offense was Paul George driven, but it wasn't necessarily Paul George centric all the time. Like he wasn't low rent James Harden in this game. He got to work off the ball. He, you know, they, and God, they really needed Reggie Jackson. They really needed an extra set of hands in this game just to handle and do some stuff. But they got there in the end and Paul George, you know, Again, a, a, just a tremendous performance from him offensively when I think a lot of us could have could have seen the Clippers easily folding in this position. I'm always more mystified when Paul George lays a complete egg and mm. turns into a pumpkin. I just use two 
metaphors right there. Um, both pretty <laughs> terrible. Uh, you know, I'm always, more, but seriously though, I'm always more surprised by game six in Denver than these type of performances. Cause look at the guy. He's freaking, he's physically gifted. He's very skilled. Why should he not be able to turn in these great performances on a more consistent basis? I'm honestly like when I see him do craziness, I'm like, what is up with this dude? When I see him come out tonight and have this type of game, it's like, yo, I've seen this guy go toe-to-toe with LeBron James before, right? Where you come out of a freaking game, you're like, wow, this guy freaking matched LeBron in a big moment, right? Like, I've watched him do that throughout his career, have those type of games. So, yeah, I'm always going to be more surprised when he when he plays like, you know, J.R. Swish. <laughs> it's true. His shot, I got to say, has to be one of the most pure that the NBA has right now. And I, I don't know, really know what that means, but I want to say that it's so wet, but like, I know that I'm way too white to say, listen, I know this is the late night version of the green room, but very please relax yourself. The shot is wet. So, no, but There's like, your breakout right there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Video breakout right there. Um, but when he's odd, man, it just, it, I don't, I'm surprised when he misses, but I have to say when it was nutchet time, as, as Waz likes to say, or something like that, you did start to see other guys step up around him. Reggie Jackson, just from the grave, man, has, has completely revitalized his career. Um, I was saying before we logged on to this chat here that uh, uh, I was telling one of our mutual friends who is, is uh, a Clippers uh, diehard, I guess we'll call him. Uh, and I said right before <laughs> they played that first game in Dallas, that as soon as they put Reggie Jackson in the starting lineup, this was over because I had no faith that he could play defense whatsoever. And here he is calling for the ball in crunch time, mm-hmm. calling for a screen. And he wasn't that bad. He really kind of saved him there. Um, Charles, what do you think for, about Reggie in this one? I mean, he cooked three-time defensive player of the year, Rudy Gobert off the dribble. I mean, give the man his flowers. That was amazing. That's I would true. say all two with the, with the Clippers this game. Yeah, I mean, for Paul George, it really helps. I'm looking up Royce O'Neal. He's six foot four, two twenty-five. That's your mm. defensive stopper on the mm. on the wing. And I would say Royce is probably like a decent athlete, not even a plus athlete. Like that's how bad Utah's perimeter defense is. Like basically, Royce O'Neal is the only guy who can guard in the perimeter in this team. They cannot guard anybody. So it's just a matter of you, you're gonna get to your shots. If you make your shots, you're gonna beat them. They've got to win shootouts. They just can't guard. Yeah, and specifically a matchup like the Clippers, I thought they were very uh, pointed in their attacks of Rudy, right? Like they were like, "All right, Rudy, you want to sit back and you you want to play play the paint? We we don't got anybody that could take it to you anyway, <laughs> for real. So we're going bombs away, and you know those last possessions where Jarks is right." Reggie Jackson is literally, he's finding Rudy's guy and he said, come set a screen right now so I can take a wide open jump shot. Like they were looking for Rudy. And then on switches, guys were feeling very comfortable getting to their spots and finding their shots as well. You know, and, but, you know, honestly, and I hate to sound so redundant and, and, you know, beat the horse with the dead leg again is, (laughs) (laughs) is, is that, Donovan Mitchell was clearly hobbled tonight and you have no Mike Conley and you know, it's cute when Jordan Clarkson gets to rev it up with the bench units and soak up and hog up 
way too many freaking possessions. And it's nice that you have Joe Ingles as a secondary, you know, third best ball handler, perimeter um, creator, et cetera, et cetera. But that don't get it done in these types of games, right? Like if your guy who's elite at it is hobbled and so therefore can't even be good, essentially, and Mike Conley is out, you see what can happen to, to, to these teams. Look, not every team can have a Reggie Jackson, though, you know? <laughs> it's true. I, I, will, I will say, this is, you know, this is a teaching moment for all of us because if we can flash back in time to last season when the Clippers picked up Reggie Jackson, I think he got waived by the Pistons outright. Mm-hmm. I would never have imagined he would be this important in multiple playoff series. And yet here we are, the right player, the right time, a guy who a bunch of teams had cast off and given up on. I mean, he's he's delivering in ways that certainly we did not anticipate. Uh, are we saying that Paul George is a better recruiter than Kawhi Leonard? Because oh, I believe go. it was Paul George <laughs> who lured him down to L.A., probably one of his few fishing buddies, because apparently that's the only hobby that Paul George has, the only one that we hear about. Um, but I have to say here, so... Uh, yeah, Marcus Morris <laughs> also played big here. Terrence Mann with the dunk oh of the gosh. century, which was oh like my gosh. half of a dunk. Can we talk about Terrence Mann real quick, considering that like we wanted to start the podcast with him the other day? Yeah, how did we get this far and you're just now mentioning the dunk? I mean, what what chutzpah from our guy <laughs> with, with one R and an A in his name? Uh, I, you know, when he drove on Rudy, I was getting a little worried i have to say and then when he tried to dunk it on him it barely got over but that kind of swung the game at the end here it was it was an and one too for his trouble to get dunked on speaking of chutzpah you know who he's kind of starting to remind me of not in terms of game but in terms of impact is rookie wesley matthews who went to the playoffs for the jazz against the the kobe and powell lakers and was just like a huge energy presence when that team really needed it. And to me, Terrence Mann is that guy for the Clippers, like a little bit of sign of life. He's going to feel, he's going to have the deer, you know, deer in the headlights look a little bit, especially on some of those threes, but he's going to make big plays. He's going to keep working on defense. He's going to come up with one or two like offensive rebounds or rebounds out of a scrum that are important to your team. You need guys like that. I mean, you need, you need guys like Reggie Jackson who don't know that it's not their time to shoot. You need guys like Marcus Morris who are going to bully whatever mismatch they can get. There's an interesting kind of ecosystem developing here of role players for the Clippers who, you know, again, without Kawhi, that changes their whole trajectory. But when you lose a star like that, sometimes role players just vanish. They lose, they, they get all their open shots cut off or they lose the guy who's covering for them defensively. It certainly doesn't look that way right now where so many different guys stepped up for the Clippers in so many little ways. I mean, it was very symbolic, right? The Clippers wanted to go small. We're playing a seven foot three giant, three time defensive player of the year. We're going to play our six, four, six, five, six, six guys. And we're going to dunk on them, whatever. Yeah, it, it is interesting to see Ty Lue play Terrence Mann almost in the Bruce Brown role where he's effectively like the center. But, you know, he made one of five threes, but that one three was was a, a pretty big advantage there. And I I do think it was interesting to see that kind of matchup with the Jazz staying big and Lou going the complete opposite direction uh, with Kawhi out. He played Zubac eight minutes, but that's the only center that in air quotes that you could really say touch the floor here. Uh, I thought that was a really ballsy move to just completely go small, force them to match up to then. And, and it worked out here. I mean, Waz, you've talked a lot about this, just um, lose willingness to try things. I think that was a pretty big edge here in this game. 
Yeah, and as always, when Ty Lue's back is against the wall, he's like, I'm putting my best offensive players out there. Y'all can have fun with defensive stops and all that other stuff. I'm getting buckets. And that's what he did tonight. He, he I think, very smartly understood that we're not going to beat the Jazz conventionally. Right now, we're at a talent disadvantage, and so we have to throw out something at least kind of gimmicky to throw them off balance. And that's what they did. It's like, you know what, Rudy? You're playing perimeter defense defense all night long. We're not going to let you play in the paint. We're not going to give you a zoob. When, hell, you can try to hide on a Terrence man, but this guy, very active as Varia just said, and it's not going to be some easy little job for you. So, of course, kudos to Ty Lue, man. This guy, I, I just love his willingness to just be like, yo, man, that wasn't working out. I'm trying this next thing. And his willingness, too, after they took that barrage of threes in the first half, to still trust his gut, to still say, I know this can work if we circle back to it, if we go to this position, if we put these guys in, you know, you could even see late in the game, there were so many possessions that were ending up with Terrence Mann in the corner and he would have to make a, a tough call against Rudy Gobert. And so they shuffled him out and they put Nick Batum in that spot and they got, well, unfortunately, an open look that Batum airballed, but the process there is good in terms of what Lou is able to put the team in position to do. I mean, this is why you fired Doc Rivers last year. Like, you see the payoff right now. This is like 100%. You got Ty Lue in there. I think Ty Lue, give him all the, all the props in the world. Sometimes I'll think I'll watch the Bucks. I'm like, if Ty Lue was their coach, this would be a very, very, very different team. Like, so true. the man, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. I mean, the Jazz almost forced his hand, too, because they made, what, 10 threes, I think it was, in that first quarter. They had shot 30 by the half. I mean, they took 54 in this game. And so you had to kind of fight fire with fire. I think that is one thing I'm worried about if I'm the Clippers, though, that the, the Jazz are going to keep barraging and, and shooting away that I wonder if the math ultimately flips the other way. Yeah. In the other game, the Sixers had the most threes. They made 13 threes. I think the Jazz hit that mark 15 minutes into this game. <laughs> right. Right. And so are we worried? Sharks, what do you think? Like, so no Kawhi here. We don't know when he's going to come back here. Um, are you worried that some of these threes fall? The game ends up a different story. Um, I don't know. I think if you're the Clippers, you're thinking this. They, we know that they cannot guard us. We can get our open shots. We just got to make them. But, you know, it is a make or miss league, right? You can miss your shots for two games and Utah could win. But I think if you're the Clippers and you're back of your mind, you know, we can always get open looks with our, with our lineups. And that gives you a pretty good edge in a series like this. All right. Heineken believes you could twist any situation into something positive. You just need a fresh take. So here's some fresh takes on the NBA playoffs. Sharks, what is your fresh take? I think the Suns still have a chance, even if Chris Ooh. Paul is out for a few games in the conference finals. I think they've been a great team all season. They still have Devin Booker, who's become an elite player in these playoffs. We already know that already, I guess. They've got, they've got a lot of good young players around him. They've got a good head coach. I think this is a team, especially if you're going to play the Clippers next round, the Kawhi Leonard, the Jazz, Mike Conley. Like, there are no unbeatable teams for the Suns to have to worry about. So they should still be able to give that a good series, even if Chris Paul misses most of it. Waz, do you believe in DeAndre Ayton now? Yeah, I've had to eat my words. I, I, I was somebody who thought he would come into his first postseason and get completely obliterated by the sophistication and the skill level of most postseason offenses. And he's done the opposite. He's just acquitted himself quite well. Still wasn't quite worth passing up on Luka, but he's doing his thing. Right. 
those takes, those were so fresh, but you can get out there and find your own fresh takes, grab a pack of Heineken from your local retailer or have one delivered right to your door. Must be 21 years of age to purchase. Mine was already open. Cheers, y'all. Cheers. Um, I, I do want to talk about Kawhi here uh, because this was the biggest news of the day for all of five minutes before we moved on to something else. Uh, so it is possible that he's out for the remainder of the series. We don't really know. It's pretty hazy. But he was one of many players that are out now. Um, you know, we referenced Chris Paul being out with COVID. It's a different situation, but there are a lot of players now playing through injury. Embiid was one of them. Danny Green was another one. Harden's nursing an injury. Kyrie is out. Man, Conley, it goes on and on and on. Um, I don't want to turn this into a discussion of just turn injuries off because I think they could fall into that category pretty quickly. But Rob, I think we're starting to see clear signs of the rush season starting to mar the postseason. I think I personally was on the fence for a while and saying like, let's wait for the data. I know a lot of guys are complaining about it, but I want to see actual facts to back it up. Now right. we have, now we have the facts and now we have just an absurd amount of stars on the men at the most important time of the year. I mean, what do you think about this? Is this like, is, is the NBA to blame for the situation we're in right now? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question, especially because all these decisions, although they are NBA decisions, are joint, they're joint calls between the NBA and the Players Association. On some level, the players have to make those calls too on how much money they're willing to give up for a shortened season, if they're willing to push it out, all those things. They had just as much of a stake as anyone in getting this started more or less on time or quote unquote on time so you could get back to a normal schedule. That said, the playoffs have been just totally shaped and marred by the injury the the state of all these injuries. And it's not just the guys who are out. It's, you know, like Donovan Mitchell in this game, who, even though he's still very good, doesn't have it all the time. You know, he he just can't get to that gear that he needs to, to be a dominant presence in a game like this one that the Jazz had to win. And that's unfortunate that we have to see that and measure that and weigh that as if it's just neutral basketball. But this is what we get every year in terms of, you know, in like just injuries shaping series. It's just this year is so much more prevalent. As you're mentioning, every team that's left pretty much is dealing with this on some level. You know who's to blame, Justin Verrier? Capitalism <laughs> is to blame. Okay? There we go. Here we go. Um, these cats understood the math question. Either lose a crap ton of money and not only do you lose the money by not fulfilling your obligations you also are pissing off your tv partners and i know people are going to be like yo uh you know these guys make millions of dollars they couldn't sacrifice blah 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 hello this is the only chance they get to make the money that's going to set up their families for generations that's what they're playing for that's what's at stake here for these guys and then conversely the billionaire owners who are infinitely more wealthy and powerful than the players are individually and collectively, let's be real, they themselves were super thirsty to come back. So were those billion dollar corporations in the TV partners were thirsty to come back, right? Like we always hear, we always hear this like, yo, the players, they're spending money so frivolously. That's why they get killed in collective bargaining. Well, guess what? Your freaking owners are the same too. Dude's taking out 300 
$300 million loans at 20% interest, Tillman Frittata. <laughs> because you can't afford to, to not play games because you broke, bro. This you know what I mean? an episode so, of the daily really quickly. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, this is just the reality of it. Like the, 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 everybody went back to work. Everybody had to freaking get their asses back on the horse to chase some damn paper. NBA players are no different. This idea that like people don't understand the concept of money and capitalism of like, I need to make money because rent's due on the first fam. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's that's just what it is. The product is suffering because of it. But this is the life we chose, guys. Yeah. One thing I will say that's different about this postseason than I think about some in the past and even most recent history is that I do think so many teams going all in and banking on this season or the next season or the season before this as their window that these super teams are forming and there really isn't much in the future. It's about the now. It is leading to, I think, a bit more pressure on guys to play through things. And you're starting to see things like James Harden basically being out there as a decoy. Like, I can't remember that happening like that. AD, another example of this where he goes out there, clearly isn't right, but he's trying to play through something. Uh, It is getting worse in certain ways. And I don't know if that's just because these guys see this opportunity as like their time to really win the title, to like build their legacy for Harden specifically to kind of get rid of his, uh, his reputation as being this guy who can't like win in the playoffs, et cetera. I do think something different is happening. It's almost like the the time crunch is happening, but there's also a recklessness that's meeting it head on. And I think it's putting us in the position where we are today. What what do you think the source of that recklessness is? Like I'm not I'm not quite understanding you. Well, I, I do think it's it's guys trying to take advantage of their window. I mean, if you're let's yeah. say the Lakers, for instance, like how many more prime years of LeBron are you going to have? And so this team is built to win now. You trade all these draft picks, there really isn't much to look forward to in the future. You are trying to take advantage of the window. That would yeah. be the, the case. And it does seem like these things are are happening here. I mean, I guess I don't see that as reckless. To like what Waz was saying, you know, you really only have so long to make money. You really only have so long to try to win championships. And if you're James Harden, this is this is a great shot that you have right here. I, I can I totally understand why he would want to be on the floor. That said, I'm still shocked that he can play 46 minutes on a bum hamstring. Um, that's crazy. But I, I totally get why he would want to be out there. Right. Charks, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, it's kind of like what Rob was saying, tomorrow is never promised for anyone, mm-hmm. right? And then you look back at a guy's career, you look at how many times Kawhi got knocked out of the playoffs, how many times Katie got knocked out of the playoffs. When you have a chance, you just got to go for it because you never know. And that's, I mean, that's just how it is. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. 
Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. All right, let's uh, let's turn to some more news in the day, uh, some coaching fires, or as some of our newsbreakers were uh showing us no one gets fired anymore they are only out they are mutually <laughs> oh, parted ways mutually parting ways was good they that failed was to one. come to agreement <laughs> literally no one was fired today actually it was just all of these different things all right but i i do want to start let's start in new orleans here because i've been kind of talking to some people around this situation um stan van gundy is out air quotes as Pelicans uh, coach. I don't think this is much of a surprise here. Uh, They went 31 and 41, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, The Pelicans have made a big to do about still being competitive, even though Zion and some of the young guys really haven't come to form yet. Let me ask this first though, Charks, what do you think is like, what was the worst thing about Stan Van Gundy? Like what was the most glaring flaw in his coaching job this season? Well, I mean, the players didn't like him, right? Like, that's right. why he got fired. It, that's what shot to me was him and Nate Bjorkren. One year, one year came in, and they just didn't relate to the players at all. And they're gone now. I mean, you gotta, you gotta be able to build relationships with your players. Like, if you don't do that, what are you even doing? Well, and especially with Stan, it's not just relating and you know sitting down and having a heart to heart. He came in and he coached like it was 2010 in the sense that. He came in with a really complex defense. He wanted his players to run. They barely had any training camp to install it. And so then they couldn't run it effectively and he would rip them in the media. I mean, if I was a player, I would be really frustrated with that. I, I would think that's a, you know, a pretty bum rap that I've been given in that situation. And that's kind of the danger of hiring a coach who's been out of the game that long, who's used to not only players with a different approach to the game or a change, you know, the changing strategy of the league. It's about like, how much practice time are you going to get? What are, what are the conditions on the ground of coaching if you haven't been doing it for a while? I mean, it's, it's evolving pretty quickly. And to me, Stan Van Gundy looked like he was out of his depth in terms of getting guys to run a coherent system on the fly in a pandemic season. He didn't live up to that. Yeah, I have no problem with letting Stan go. I, I think ultimately he was probably going to be headed into that direction. I think the thing that surprised me the most is that when you talk to people down there, you read some things from the local beat writers and whatnot, you'll see that there's a sense of urgency that the Pelicans are acting with right now, which is pretty surprising considering we just came off of year two of Zion Williamson and he really has only played about 85 games. I think it is total between the two seasons and all of a sudden they're already on the clock in air quotes. And I think from David Griffin's perspective, certainly like he's made some flaws there. We can get into that later, but I do think there's this sense that they feel like they need to sell to Zion this organization because Zion is coming up on an extension here pretty quickly. And while nobody has really ever not signed a max extension or to stay on their second contract, I do think that there's a worry that Zion has enough money from sponsorships already. And like that, there are people around him perhaps who might push him into that direction. And so was, I guess my question here is like, 
Do you think there's any realistic possibility when it comes down to it that Zion, considering his injury history, considering like just who he is as a player, wouldn't sign that to get out of the situation? That's actually a better question. If you were Zion, would you want to get out of this situation as soon as possible? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Of course I'd want to get the hell out of New Orleans as soon as I possibly can. Like, it's an NBA backwater. That's just a fact. Like, if you you just look around the freaking league, this guy has eyes he can see. Just look around the place. There are a plethora of more desirable options when it comes to organizationally where you're not playing for a freaking football owner. Right. And who treats your team like the the other thing that they do and not the main thing. And, you know, you're second, third, fifth fiddle to your to a bunch of other sports in New Orleans. You know, high school football is damn bigger than you. LSU is damn bigger than you. And that's before we get to even the freaking Saints. Right. So LSU right gymnastics. Up. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. There was a there big Pelicans game and there was LSU gymnastics on the cover. Continue of, of a local newspaper. So there you go. Right. Like, so, of course, I'd want to get out there. And I do want to talk about Griff for a second because, you know, I came on the group chat a few weeks ago and, and I ripped the Celtics brass for yeah, I know. <laughs> for constantly for constantly um peddling this assets future play which doubles as great job security everything's going to be great in the future everything's going to be great in the future what griff is doing is the opposite of that and it seems to be bo- and you some could say it could be bordering on a bit reckless cuz guess what you already fired a freaking coach last year you're firing another one again and it gets to the point where it's like okay do you know what you're doing cuz you just basically flushed $20 million down the toilet of the Benson family's money. And again, Paul Allen, they are not. They are not as rich as Steve Ballmer. So the idea that Griff is doing this is obvious. There's no other explanation than they feel some type of insecurity and sense of urgency because none of this stuff makes sense otherwise. Yeah, I mean, the thing you heard last year when Alvin Gentry got let go is that wasn't really Griff's guy, that like he kind of inherited him. He wanted, he didn't want to rock the bow after uh, that turbulent situation. And so he kind of played it out, waited to see what happens, but then he let him go. But this is a pretty big indictment because this is one of the bigger decisions uh, that he's going to make in his entire tenure. And the other big decision that he made, which is also not looking very good, is the trade for Drew Holiday, where on the one hand, you're stacking assets, you're buying yourself some runway, some leeway. But on the other hand, you brought back Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, and that was probably one of their biggest problems. Uh, like both of those guys, Adams in particular. That coming? <laughs> I know the, the extension for Stephen Adams after trading for him didn't make Brutal. any sense when it Brutal. happened because this guy has just been going through like injuries left and right in his career, and he did again. And just like they couldn't shoot, like we all know how every team needs shooting. Like they stack up in shooting in certain ways to get JJ Redick to come down there and foster the young guys. And then you just like double down on Eric Bledsoe and Steven Adams. That one didn't make sense here. So I'm, I'm just confused at where they are right now. Yeah, the, today was like a greatest hits of all the things that went wrong with the Pelicans. You know, because Stan Van Gundy gets fired in the reporting, it's all the things that went wrong, um, including one I had forgotten, which was Eric Bledsoe saying that 
in a game in which they were supposed to double team, I can't remember who they were, you know, it was against the Knicks, who was, who was shooting the ball in a crunch time situation. They were supposed to double team and he didn't. And he admitted after the game, oh, I just wasn't paying attention to what Stanley <laughs> Gundy was saying. So that's kind of what the state of the things were on the ground uh, pre-fire. <laughs> so I, I want to bring oh, up man. this uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, <laughs> but a little flourish on it. Alexander. Uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker's Instagram post, which is like him with Sam Van Gundy's arm around him, uh, the quote read underneath it, it was a roller coaster ride to say the least, but nevertheless, I appreciate you. Dot, dot, dot. That's what everyone's going to say in this green room <laughs> chat after this episode's done. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Um, all right. And in other news here, uh, Donnie Nelson in the saga of the Mavs that keeps going and going and going and it hasn't stopped yet. Sharks. I feel like you've already been on five different podcasts and green rooms just to talk about this. Nelson is now out after 24 years with the Mavericks after that kind of explosive athletic piece. Um, are you surprised? Let's start here that we ended up with Nelson getting fired. A little bit. Cause after anyone who lasts 24 years, you can going to last forever at that point. I mean, it basically is forever in NBA time, but I mean, I think for the Mavs, like, it's time for a fresh start. This thing clearly wasn't working. They need a new voice in the front office. They hired a GM search from already. I would just love to see like a promising young exec come here, build out a new front office. You got Luca. Start over, man. It's about time. Yeah, the the the, the Walsh thing, and you know, we can, we can take our listeners behind the curtain a bit here, right, and explain to them some inside baseball stuff. When you read, and Cato and Amico, those are my homies. When you read the article and you see who's getting slammed and who's not, it becomes fairly obvious who the sourcing is coming from. Mm. And then today, the dude who it comes from got fired. That's mm. what happened. Okay? Is this another was bomb? This ain't a wise bomb. It's just y'all know y'all know. I think a lot of times readers and listeners don't understand how these stories sort of come about. Like somebody has an axe to grind and they find the first reporter to get their agenda across. And it's not like he's telling lies. Maybe what he's saying about um Harala Bob's role over there is a bit skewed by from his own perception as a dude who's been there for 24 years and can't understand why somebody might have Mark Cuban's ear. But once you read the story, it became clear <laughs> who it was from. And then, you know, a day later, it's like, bro, you out here snitching. You putting our business on the streets. Pack your shit and go. Goodbye, Donnie. I think it's better, you know, when we're thinking about the NBA landscape and this kind of front office palace intrigue stuff, it's probably better if you look at every NBA front office as a power struggle. And then you work backwards and find the ones that are actually genuine collaborations. Because they're, like Waz was saying, this, like anytime there's any kind of reporting, any, you know, it, it's all pointing to somewhere. It's pointing to somebody who's miffed because someone didn't listen to their draft advice or their trade advice or who they thought was good or who they thought wasn't or who they wanted hired as a coach. That stuff just stacks up in every organization. And so for this to happen with the Mavs is not surprising at all. It's happening pretty much everywhere. Right. It happens in most businesses. Like most offices are a political power struggle. This uh, one for yeah. sure. I know. You, wouldn't believe, you wouldn't believe what Shark says about you behind your back, Justin. Oh, no, I'll I can believe it. Face out on Unfortunately, I have the clout here. I am the Luke of, of this situation. Oh, oh, oh wow. 
Speaking of which, Luca reportedly upset about the firing. I think that is where I'm a little concerned here is like, what is the next direction for this franchise? And like, is Luca going to be okay with it? Like we're at the point now where every decision and every team needs to go through their star player. And I'm curious, like what he's doing, sitting back, waiting for this extension, um, potentially to sign this offseason. what he's thinking about team. Like, I guess this goes back to the Zion discussion we were just having. Do you think like he might pull that off the table and try to play through it? I mean, you know what Lucas thinking about Justin $40 million a year. That's what he's thinking about right now for five years. I mean, come on. No question. I mean, he's thinking to himself, they pay Ben Simmons to do what? (laughs) Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I need that break. This is the this is the thing though. Like, who was the last superstar who got so upset because an executive was fired that they did something about it? Like, I, no. I think he and Nelson have a they obviously have a relationship. I'm sure they have a very nice personal relationship. Is it going to change Luca's life that Donnie Nelson is not there anymore to the point where he's turning down two hundred million dollars? I got. I mean, I don't. I don't love any of you guys that much. I got to say. Wait, listen, maybe. Luca keeps tigers in his apartment and like Donnie Nelson just has like good tips on that. I don't know. He seems like the type of guy who might do that. Um, no, I think that the case for that would be one, there's enough endorsement money that Luca would be set and he would be able to gamble and be able to pick his team, uh, after the season, after the, the extension goes away. The other case for it would be is that KD just provided precedent that a player good enough, even if you do get injured significantly, even if you have the most significant injury in basketball, you could still get a max contract from that. And I think Luca, considering his age, considering where he is in his career, I think he's proven that like he probably would get that regardless now. I don't know, man. I think there's a reason why nobody's ever turned down a maximum extension off of a rookie deal. People have done qualifying offers and been like, all right, I'm going to bet on myself and test myself in free agency next year. But they were not offered the max. Nobody's Mm -hmm. ever said... Like, cause you got to figure it like people got to understand what it means. Right. It's like somebody brings a piece of paper to you and says, all you do is write your name on this and you'll be $250 million richer. That's, that's tough. That's tough to pass up. You just with the wave of a pen, 250 mil <laughs> or whatever Luca's extension will be. Come on, man. It's just one of those things. Apparently in Dallas now, whenever something goes wrong, you say, Luke will be mad about it. Like, oh, I got fired. Luke is mad about this, man. <laughs> My car is Let me ask you this. Luke on the phone. Because the, the hot name now is Michael Finley, I guess, uh, who's already in the front office, I guess. And so he might be rise to a more prominent role. Uh, as two longtime Dallas residents, Rob, would you be excited with Michael Finley as the leader of the Dallas Mavericks? Why not? Give him a shot. Yeah. I have no problem with that. Sharks, do you have any sense of Michael Finley as an executive? Not really. He's kind of been kind of behind the scenes a bit, but he's, he's really ascended in the last few years. But we'll see what he would do as, in the main job. Though. Yeah. I mean, it's always tough to extricate from a front office, like what people's roles are and what decisions they had a hand in, how they felt about certain issues. When you're talking about somebody like Donnie Nelson, who's been in that job for over two decades, uh, that's it. It's tough to you know pinpoint exactly what Finley's hands have been on, but I think overall the thing with the Mavs is they've gotten some of the big things extremely right. Luca, for example, 
and they've also messed up quite a lot. So, you know, if you if you wanted to just wash your hands clean and say we want to start fresh with a totally new voice, a totally new, you know, person running this front office, I would understand that. Um but I don't know. They, they've done some good work too, and certainly has been a front office. It's been very successful, you know, working the bargains, trimming around the edges. They're good at that stuff. They're just apparently not good at trading for Chris Tapps, Porzingis, or you know that kind of thing. Right. Am I the only one who doesn't see the Mavs situation as dire? I don't understand this. No, they, took the, no, they took the they took a Clippers dire. they took a Clippers team to seven games, who was way better than them. They had no business being in that series when you consider the talent disparity. They have Luca. He's going to sign a rookie extension, which means he's going into his fourth year and there's five years after that that they'll have him for. What are we complaining about? Yes, KP, could you please freaking lift the weight or drink and ensure every now and again? <laughs> yes. Um, like KP not being, you know, a legitimate number two, obviously in the playoffs. It's like, bro, we can't count on you for damn near anything at this point. And yes, the guy's coming off of a major injury and we, we got to give him that leeway. And perhaps next year after, you know, more training and, you know, a year removed, uh, I mean, another year removed from the injury perhaps he'll be better and I would expect that he is but like yeah KP is not great he's not definitely doesn't pencil them in to second round playoff bids the way you know Stockton and Malone did in their prime which is what people were telling me when the Knicks traded this dude away that basically the the, the freaking Mavs were going to walk to 55 wins every single year because of it that's proven to not be the case right um and so yeah the KP thing isn't great but everything else is pretty damn good if you ask me. Yeah, there, there is no dire when you have Luka Doncic. Full exactly. stop, that's it. Well, I will say this. I used to be of the mind that if you have the generational superstar, like if you screw up anything around that, that's your mistake, right? But I have, I mean, as we keep seeing, it is more difficult than we kind of lay it out to be. We're seeing the Pelicans, they screwed up with Anthony Davis. Luka Doncic is another one because these players are being, are so good so quickly now that it makes it tough to build through the draft. And then you really need to take one big swing in order to pair them with at least one other guy. Drew Holiday was the one with Anthony Davis. Christoph Porzingis was the guy with Luca. And like, you're probably not picking from the pick of the litter there. You're probably picking for someone who maybe is diminished in some certain way. For instance, Drew and, and KP were both diminished by injuries. You're not getting like, your friend to come play with you because you're not going to have free agents that are of the same age. And so it's a lot more difficult than we're giving it credit. You know what we're not giving it credit to, by the way? The players are smarter GMs. Look at the Nets and what they put together. If Luca would have, excuse me, if Giannis would have just been smart enough to realize he ain't no damn perimeter player and said, why don't I take my ass to Dallas with a guy that would solve literally every single problem I've ever had on a basketball court? We'd be talking about championships in Dallas now, but instead he, you know, he did the sentimental sappy, I'm going to do it where I started nonsense. And look at that damn team. Don't make us sad, Waz. Let's not, let's not, let's not bring up Giannis and Luca together. That's, it's late at night. I've had a long year. Come on. It's true. But there's, but there's a guy who trusted his organization, though. Right. Like he, he put his faith in the GMs to do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, we lament what KD and them and LeBron and other people have done in the past. But like, look, at is Giannis being rewarded for this? Will he nope. ever be rewarded for it? Only time will tell. Yeah. 
Instead, he has Drew Holiday by his side just uh, a couple of years later. Um, all right, let, let's uh, flip quickly to the Washington Wizards here who failed to come to an agreement with Scott Brooks, their coach of five seasons. Are we really seasons. doing this? Are we yes. doing this? Well, is there anything else you'd like to talk about before we... No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Not, not even the topic, but we're, we're actually... Um, given this credibility, this failed to come to an agreement, he got fired, y'all. He did get fired. And, yes. and, and, and this is the thing. And it goes back to what I was talking about with Donnie, um, Donnie Walsh. It's framed like that by the newsbreakers of our industry. Because guess what? They're probably friends with Scotty Brooks's agent or Scotty Brooks himself. And it looks nasty to be like, <laughs> they cut him loose. He right. wasn't getting it done. Goodbye, right. Scott Brooks. That's a bad look. When you come out and say, yo, you know, they couldn't come to an agreement on a contract. It looks better for Scotty Brooks. So just always remember to frame it when you guys are reading this stuff, guys. Justin, to go back to your question earlier, I think this will be Scott Brooks's last job in the NBA. I would be surprised <laughs> if he's a head coach again. I shouldn't be laughing at that, but yeah. Seventh longest tenured head coach in the NBA. That's insane. Um, yeah, I, I think this one isn't much of a surprise here. Uh, Rob, if you're looking at the Wizards' next coach, you have oh, Russell man. Westbrook probably, you have Bradley Beal probably, you have these young guys you're hoping to get something out of. Is there some quality or is there some coach specifically that you're looking at uh, in order to fill the void there? I mean, I am facing reality and fast-forwarding and going purely development. I'm, I, you know, all due respect to Brad Beal, and you know, I'm sure he wants to be there in some part of, you know, in, in the depths of his soul, wants to make the Wizards a winning organization again. I just am not building my franchise around that. So, any anyone who can get Rui Hachimura to the next level, who can get Denny Avdia <laughs> to be a good NBA player, that's kind of where I'm thinking more so than however long we have Russell Westbrook and Brad Beal on the team. To be honest with you, I like how that serious point was immediately met with laughs. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, Welcome to, the next to my level. life. Yeah. I was just, Rob really wants a miracle worker. I love it. <laughs> right. Rui Hachimura is good. Not Maybe. a miracle worker. I'm, I'm into it. All right. So the current openings we have now here, uh, Boston, Indiana, New Orleans, Orlando, Portland, and Washington. Was what is the best job available right now? Milwaukee. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> <Thank you>. <laughs> <laughs> We're just firing people left and right. Um, <laughs> listen, um, the best job available right now, <laughs> the best job available right now has to be, to me, the New Orleans job. As much as I was like, if I'm Zion, I wouldn't want to be there. But again, I, I, I like, I, I, I defy somebody. Like these guys have to show me they're not going to sign that rookie extension. I got to see it before I believe that that's ever going to actually happen. So that being the case, if I get Zion for another six years, give me that, bro. This guy's freaking incredible. I really thought you were going to say Boston for a second. I thought we had boxed <laughs> yeah, you in right. with a multiple choice question where you have yeah, to pick Boston. Okay. It just didn't yeah, happen. Okay. <laughs> Can I say that for real though? I think it's Boston. Really? That's well, not I mean, a terrible. No, it's, I mean, it's, a, it's a good job it's for a good sure. Job. It's a good job. I'm with Waz. I just think like if you have generational talent like Zion, I mean, and Tatum is kind of that class too. It just depends on how highly you think of him. I think of Zion as a different level of prospect than Tatum personally, but I, I wouldn't blame you for for wanting the Boston job. Do you want to be subordinate to Boy Wonder? <laughs> 
the president? You want to be subordinate to a guy who had a crap season and then got promoted by the owners? <laughs> Who's basically Listen, I, untouchable and you can't talk to him in that or- organization damn there? I serve at the pleasure of the president. Okay. <laughs> 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 best swing on you. I mean, the case for Boston is, yeah, like Tatum isn't Zion. Maybe he doesn't have that ceiling, although, I mean, his ceiling is pretty freaking high. It's pretty close to top 10 player if it isn't already there. Uh, I just injury risk, you know, Zion, yep. you're always worried that his, his legs will give out from under him. I mean, I can't get the, the picture of him out of my mind of like walking like a penguin and it's just going to stay there no matter how good he is, no matter like if he shoots 60% from the floor, every freaking game, like he has been, uh, I'm just, I'm just a little more worried about the Zion situation. That's all. I mean, they're both great jobs, New Orleans and Boston. Like those are jobs as a coach. You just, that's a job you want, right? That's a job that you get. You actually have talent. You have multiple really good young players. You have Tatum and Brown in Boston, Zion and Ingram in New Orleans. There's a lot to work with. Like the dropout for those two jobs is a chasm. Those two jobs are just great jobs. And and look at look at what getting in early on some young talent did for Scott Brooks's career. I mean, my God, <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, this might be the reason, too, why if you're Washington, you're looking at maybe a younger development-oriented coaches, you're pretty low on the totem pole for free agent coaches who are going to be looking at spots. I don't think there's going to be a rush of coaches looking to go to D.C. when you could coach Zion, you could coach Jason Tatum. Those are pretty attractive options. Yeah, they'll be lucky to get guys from the Patriot League to come coach in D.C. next season, man. (laughs) It's going to be tough for them to, to fill that position. All right. But on that note, uh, we're going to close the podcast here. Thank you to our producer, Sasha Ashall. Thank you to Pat Muldowney to, for shepherding us through this whole process. Uh, thank you for you, the listeners. Uh, we'll be back same time, same place, I guess on Green Room 2 and maybe other platforms. We'll see you then. 